sit right here and bite my time As long as it takes to get what's mine And I won't be denied And all I got is my pride And I will rise Welcome back everybody to the Squared Circle Lee here with the king of wrestling trivia, Andy Evans, and we have, of course, with us uh, our advertised guest, one of the most recognisable voices in pro wrestling today. He is, of course, the lead announcer on Friday Night SmackDown, and of course, one of the head men at WWE.com. He is Michael Cole. Michael, how are you doing today? Great, guys. I'm glad to be aboard. What's going on? Not too much. Hoping to talk to you about uh, a lot of a uh, lot of wrestling discussion and um, find out a little bit more about yourself. First of all, what uh, a lot of people have, have been asking us when we uh, sort of told them that you were coming on the show, wanting to know how you uh, initially got into broadcasting. Oh, it's interesting. I knew, uh, you know, ever since I was a child, I, I knew I wanted to be a broadcaster. My mom and dad used to tell me I talked too much. In fact, I used to get in trouble all the time for uh, talking in school when I wasn't supposed to. So I knew I was going to uh, go into some sort of career. Uh, when it had, which had to do with talking, and I always had a unique interest in sports and in news. Uh, growing up here in the states, and um, I went to I uh, went to college uh, at Syracuse University for it. Um, Syracuse, for those of you uh, you know over the pond, as they say, uh, may not be aware, but Syracuse University is probably the most prestigious uh, broadcasting school uh, here in uh, in the states. Uh, a lot of very famous uh, broadcasters have come out of the school. Um, and, uh, you know, went there and uh, got out of school and thought I was going to do sports, and I actually ended up taking a job doing news and um, went to work for CBS News and um, worked all over the world for about eight years, uh, covering a lot of different stories. So that's really in, in, in radio, and that's uh, really how I got my, uh, my broadcasting career underway. Can you tell us some of the, the highlights of that uh, news career, some of your most memorable reporting stories? There, you know, I always tell people when they ask me, and I and don't mean to sound boastful or or, or 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 you know bragging when I when I say this, but I was really involved from the late '80s through the mid 1990s. I was pretty much involved in uh, in almost every major story uh, at a worldwide level um, uh, of that era. Uh, everything from uh, I covered three uh, presidential campaigns here uh, here in the United States. Um, I, uh, you know, was, uh, covered the war in Bosnia on a number of occasions. I spent a lot of time in Sarajevo. Um, covered uh, a revolution in Mexico, um, situation in Haiti, uh, and a lot of uh, stories that shaped the United States from the, the Waco standoff, um, which I know you guys are very familiar with over there. Um, 51 days with David Koresh, uh, bombing of a federal building in Oklahoma City, many plane crashes. Um, so uh, I really, uh, really covered, uh, had pr- the privilege and honor of covering a, a lot of different events uh, that really shaped the, uh, the, the way the world is today. Of course, one of the things that, as you said, you're well known for is just reporting in Sarajevo. Um, what were your thoughts on, on being in the line of fire in a war zone? Uh, it was a new experience for me. Uh, Sarajevo really was the first, um, the first experience that I had to really be, uh, you know, involved uh, in a war. Um, and um, you know, it was frightening. It was scary. Um, those uh, of you and, and your listeners who may be familiar with the situation uh, that, that that happened in in Bosnia uh, in the mid uh, mid nineties, um, you know, it really was a civil war, and um, nobody was safe, uh, especially journalists who. Um, a lot of the uh, the Serbian forces are targeted because the journalists are trying to get the real story out to the rest of the world, and 
obviously the Serbian forces at the time were trying to silence that and it really was a dangerous situation uh, not only for the Muslims and Croats who were who were basically held captive in, in Sarajevo but for those of us who, who were journalists who were trying to cover the story to the best of our ability and um, you know it got frightening at times the Serbs shut down the airport on, on different occasions and you weren't able to get out of the country and um, you know it was uh, we were as much a captive at, at Sometimes, and I'm not trying to to, uh, to, to compare myself to uh, the people who actually lived through this war as residents of, of Sarajevo and Bosnia for so many years, but we were actually at, at some points captive, just uh, just like they were, and um, it was really uh, frightening. There's something very disconcerting about having to drive around a city uh, in a uh, in an armored car um, and getting uh, shot at by snipers every time you turn a corner, and uh, to go to bed at night hearing bombs going off in the background and having to uh to break down furniture uh in order to burn it in the fireplace for uh you know for heat in the middle of the winter because uh there was no heat and there was no more firewood left um and uh you know that's just some of the examples of um of what we had to go through but one thing I did learn uh covering uh you know covering that war um was the uh something I'll never forget today is the absolute undeniable uh spirit of human beings who want to survive um you know the people of that city um, and of that of that country um, just were unbelievable courage and a will to survive in some of the worst circumstances that you can imagine, and doing what they could to be able to um, you know live a a very uh, general life and to keep their day to day life going to the best of their ability, despite the fact that they were being bombed um, and shot at um, you know every day uh, that they got up to go to work. Um, and it was just really, it was a, you know, a, a triumph for for human spirit um, when all this was going on. Absolutely, sounds like a a, a really um, sort of life altering experience, and obviously it gave you a lot of preparation for you know more recent times when you've been over to uh, you know war zones with with WWE. Obviously, you've only just come back from uh, from visiting uh, the, the troops overseas as well. Going to talk about that a little bit later on as well. But obviously, from going. Uh, you know, over in, in the middle of war zones to going into something like pro wrestling. How did um, how did that move come about? Well, it was interesting. Yeah, I did. Uh, I had done a, a tremendous amount of traveling um, throughout my career in radio, and um, it got to the point where I really, you know, didn't want to. You know, I didn't want to be in an office because uh, I enjoy traveling. I enjoy seeing the world. But I really wanted uh, more of a set schedule. And when you're working news, you can't really have a set schedule. You I mean you're getting called, um, you know, at all hours of the day uh, to go cover a story, and um, you know, never knowing if you'd come home in a day or come home in three months. I mean, I've, I've been called out. I, I used to be called out on stories. Uh, I'd keep a bag packed in the back of my car, and I'd be called to a story, and I'd leave, and three months later, I'd finally come home. So it was really difficult to have a life um, that you could at least plan around. And that was one thing that I really wanted, especially with my family, to be able to have that opportunity to be able to plan something. And um, I had a friend of mine, uh, used to be a commentator here uh, at WWE, uh, Todd Pettengill, um, who I had uh, actually worked with in radio early on in my career. And uh, he actually got me an audition uh, with people uh, within the company. And um, they liked what they saw, and they hired me, uh, understanding that I knew wrestling just from being a fan. Um, but I, you know, um, really wanted to, uh, to, to, to become a very good broadcaster, but they knew it was going to take a couple of years for me to do that. And they really put in the opportunity and the time uh, to, to help me become an announcer. And that's basically how it started. So you said that you were a fan of wrestling when you were growing up. What were some of your favorite stars from time gone by? 
Um, man, I, I grew up when it was the old WWWF, when there's actually three W's, the Worldwide uh, Wrestling Federation. Um, I, uh, I guess Bruno Sammartino was probably my hero uh, when I was a kid. Um, you know, he was your typical good guy. And uh, especially, I grew up in New York, and uh, Bruno was such a huge star in the New York area. Um, guys like Bob Backlund, I enjoyed. Uh, my favorite of all time was was Hulk Hogan, uh, because uh, you know I really became a real hardcore fan when in, in my college days. And um, you know, Hulk at the time obviously was dominating the sport and really you know brought sports entertainment to it to a global global phenomenon. And uh, I was a huge um, Hulk Hogan fan. Um, and uh, you know, through the years, there've been there've been many, uh, but they're probably the top ones. One of your um, one of the big things that's happened within WWF WWE over the last uh, ten years, of course, happened in 1997, and uh, you were there for the Montreal Screw Job. Can you tell us what was happening backstage? What was your reaction when you heard what had happened to the Hitman Bret Hart? Um, you know, it was interesting. You know, in my recollection of this, it, it, it's pretty foggy because when this happened, I'd only been in the company for a couple of months, um, and I was really just learning, um, you know, what was going on in this business and how this business operated and what what went on backstage. So I wasn't privy to a lot of the uh, to a lot of the information, um, you know, of, of of what happened and, and what went down that day. So you know, I you know, I don't want to sit here and, and try to tell you some big story about what happened backstage because. I was so new to the business uh, that I I was oblivious to anything happening until after it happened. And then even after it happened, I think it took a day or so for it to sink in and for it to be explained to me what had happened. So, you know, I really, you know, didn't know too much about what was going on at the time. Okay. Um, obviously, when you, you started your career, um, you... I guess you kind of sort of worked your way up from some of the smaller shows, but it wasn't that long before you you got on to the uh, the main main two shows, uh, sort of Raw and SmackDown. What was it like, um, sort of being thrust straight into that limelight and having to compete with people like uh, you know Jr. and the King? And you know, did you fit, did you get any resentment from the fans at that point? Yeah, I'll tell you, it was um, it's been a long road. And um, when I came into the business, and and you guys know as well as I do, uh, probably better than I do, that the wrestling fan is probably the toughest critic uh, out there. Um, they're passionate about their product. Um, they love the product. Uh, they love um, uh, you know, what we do every week, and they, they watch it religiously. If it wasn't for the fans, you know, there's no way we'd be the global success that we are today. Um, so with that being said, um, and again, when you're a wrestling fan, you think you have the answers to everything, um, and rightfully so, because a lot of these fans do know a lot. And when I first started in the business, um, I knew the business just from being a fan, but I didn't know the business. And, you know, I had to work long and hard hours to, to, to become a commentator that, that knows what's going on. And I know initially I did get a lot of resentment for a couple of reasons. I think some fans were, um, were upset that I was, uh, you know, I had auditioned and was hired for a job that many of them thought they were probably more qualified for. Um, and uh, number two, um, I think that... Uh, since I wasn't from the business, uh, I was resented from that as uh, by that as well because I was an outsider. So when I started, uh, you know, I, I started doing some shows slowly. I got a little bit of resentment, but everything really came down upon me um, when Jr. got sick from Bell's palsy, and actually it, it began um, at a, a pay per view in England. Uh, I believe it was Sheffield. I can't remember right now. But when Jr. got sick, 
um, his mom had died, and uh, JR got sick from Bell's palsy, and he missed a, a few months of action. And so they threw me onto Raw, and I had had about a year experience in the company. I didn't really know how to call a wrestling match because it's a lot more complicated than people uh, make it out to be. I mean, we're storytellers as much as anything else. And uh, JR had gotten sick, and I took over. And um, I wasn't ready. I'll be the first to admit that. And I think the company knew I wasn't ready, but they really didn't have another choice at the time. And uh, they threw me out there, and I, I, I learned by making a lot of mistakes. And I think because I made a lot of mistakes and because there was a resentment already that I wasn't from the business, a lot of the fans got on me about it. And, um, the, and then the, the Vince Russo, who was the, the creative uh, team writer at the time, um, you know, came up with this brilliant idea, he thought, uh, to have, uh, bring JR back as a, you know, as a bad guy and uh, as a heel. And, um, you know, JR would try to get his job back. And uh, he thought that the fans would hate JR. Well, the fans are never going to hate JR. The man's given 30 years of his life to this business. And um, it ended up turning out that I ended up being the bad guy. And I got a lot of heat from the fans because of it. And I think to this day, there are still many, many fans out there who resent um, the fact that that happened and resent the fact that I was, in their minds, given too much too early. Um, I think the other thing is uh, is that, you know, I just think sometimes there's there's a sep- people don't understand the separation between who I am as a person and who I am as a character. You know, the Michael Cole you see on TV, the straight play-by-play guy that gets you know knocked around and beat up all the time, isn't necessarily who I am as a person. And, um, you know, I think a lot of that comes into play as well. Um, but I don't resent or, re- or, or regret any of that. I mean, the, for the most part, the fans, you know, they, they'll sit there and scream stuff at you from the arena, or they'll write you nasty emails and stuff. But the bottom line is when you're there and they come up to you and they want your autograph or they want to take your picture, they're always very polite to me. And, um, you know, again, I'll say to the day I die that this business would not be what it is today without the fans. And, you know, um, you know right, wrong, or indifferent, it's part of the business to be hated or it's part of the business to be loved, and it all comes to the territory. Absolutely. And do you think, uh, obviously, it's coming up for 10 years now you've been with WWE. Um, do you feel now that you've uh, been on, on SmackDown for quite a while, the fans are so used to seeing you there, and obviously you've grown in that role, do you think you're finally getting the respect that you deserve as a, as a legitimate wrestling announcer? Yeah, I think they are. I mean, you know, obviously, there's always going to be a few that, 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 that don't like you, and I, I still hear, hear the cat calls at all the events. But for the most part, the fans have been, you know, the last few years have really turned a corner. I, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think, number one, it's just the consistency of, of doing a show. I mean, one of the things I take pride in, is I've only missed one SmackDown in my entire career. Um, and so, you know, that's pretty consistent over a seven-year period. Um, number two, uh, so I think the fans see the dedication and the loyalty that I bring to the table because of that and the sacrifice that you bring and so on and so forth. The second thing I think is I give a ton of credit to uh, – to, uh, to, um, Taz, uh, my, my former partner here, because he's the guy who really, when I started working with him, um, and because Taz is so well-respected by the wrestling community and by its fans, when I started working with Taz, and Taz started talking to a lot of people, whether it be on the internet or just by word of mouth or in the arenas, and Taz really started talking to people about my ability um, and my ability as a broadcaster and what I helped him learn and what he helped me learn, I think the fact that Taz was talking about me and, and putting me in a, good, in a good light as a broadcaster really helped me with a lot of the hardcore wrestling fans. Um, the fact that Taz uh, appreciated working with me and, and respected my ability. And I really think that that helped me turn the corner um, you know, to get some respect. Because just to brag a little bit, I think I'm a, I think I'm a pretty good wrestling announcer, and I've always thought that um, over the past couple of years. And I, you know, I think I'm getting a little bit of that respect now from the fans, and I and I and and, and I appreciate that. I, I really do. 
Now, when you obviously joined the WWF, you were in the middle of a war with WCW. From your perspective, what was it like, the, the whole Monday Night Wars between Nitro and Raw, between Vince and Eric Bischoff? It was wild. I can tell you from my perspective, when I started here, we did not beat Nitro for probably over a year. And I remember... Um, you know, walking around the building here at Titan Towers in, in, in Connecticut, and people were fearful of, of their jobs. Every week that the ratings came out, every week that Nitro killed us in the ratings, um, every week an advertiser went to Nitro and left us, every week one of our wrestlers went to Nitro, people were walking around really very concerned about their job, whether they would have a job, whether the WWE would even exist, whether Ted Turner would buy out Vince McMahon, whether the WWE would fall apart, whether all the guys would be, you know, would, 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 would even get paid money for the next pay-per-view. I mean, it was really dire straits around here. And, um, you know, we turned the corner with, uh, with the Attitude Era. And, uh, you know, that was obviously the brainchild of Vince McMahon, but uh, also the brainchild of a wonderful uh, a, uh, number of people, uh, many who are still with the company, uh, from both a creative and a, a, a television production standpoint, who came up with the Attitude Campaign. And a campaign that really launched the careers of The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin and Triple H and, 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 and continued the career of Shawn Michaels for a bit. And, you know, that really is what turned things around was that, that Attitude Era. And the Attitude Era wasn't just a slogan for television. You know, that was, we lived by that mantra um, here um, at Titan Towers in Connecticut. We really lived by that. We believed in that campaign and we developed an attitude here in everything that we did, whether it was in the magazine or whether it was on television or whether it was in, you know, in the newspaper or the radio or the website or whatever we were doing, we developed an attitude. And it was company-wide, and it was like a, a, it was like a virus that infected the company, and all of a sudden we, everybody in the company had attitude. And everybody in the company was starting to strut around, and all of a sudden we started creeping up on Nitro, and we started winning the ratings war, and we started you know, blowing them out of the water for, for year after year after year. And that Attitude Era, again, was not just a television campaign. It took control of this entire company, and it really changed things around here. It brought this company back from what could have been a major disaster. Obviously, one of the, the, the people who really spearheaded WCW was Eric Bischoff. What was it like in Titan Towers and backstage at the events when um, Eric came into the WWE? And was there any sort of resentment by some of the talent, especially those who are in WCW and backstage workers who were there during the whole Monday Night Wars, to Eric coming in? Oh, of course there was. I mean, you know, uh, you know, there's two things. I, I don't. I, there's two things in the wrestling business that people say would never happen. One would be, you know, somebody from a WWE showing up at a WCW show when they weren't under contract to WCW, and Shane McMahon did that when he showed up in a ring the night that Vince McMahon bought their company. The second thing is they never, ever thought in their wildest imagination that Eric Bischoff would ever show up in the WWE, and that he did. Um, you know, people were shocked. I mean, that was, I remember the night it was on Raw, it was the New Jersey Meadowlands, the night that it happened. Um, and, uh, you know, people were shocked. It was the best-kept secret in, in the company. Nobody in the company, with the exception of a very select, small circle of people, knew that Eric Bischoff was showing up that night. And when he walked through the doors to go to that stage, jaws dropped. People could not believe it. There was a disbelief backstage. And there was legitimate heat between people backstage and Eric Bischoff, and there is to this day. And you can read Eric's book uh, that he's got out now, Controversy Creates Cash, which you know is a wonderful read. It's a great book, but, and Eric shoots on a lot of different things. And the thing about Eric is, you know, he understood that there was going to be problems there, and the, it, the talent are very outspoken. I've talked to a lot of talent who can't stand Eric Bischoff, and they will talent to his face. 
But it, the one thing is, one of the reasons that Eric Bischoff has been successful his whole career is he understands that it's business. And business is business and personal is personal. And when you can separate that, you're going to make yourself money. Now, of course, you mentioned Eric Bischoff's book there, Controversy Creates Cash. Is there any plans for you, Michael, to release an autobiography of your career? Because I know the fans over here in the UK, especially uh, the fans here at TSC, would love to hear in more detail about your experiences um, within the news and also within the WWE. So can we expect a Michael Cole autobiography in the next foreseeable future? I mean, I, mean, I don't know about the foreseeable future, but uh, you know, I'm hoping there will be one. You know, there will be one one day. I mean, I'd love to talk a lot about my experiences here and also my experiences in the news industry. Um, you know, I think it's an interesting story. But again, you know, I'm I'm concentrating now and doing SmackDown every week, and, and you know, I, I've got a new job now. I'm, I'm basically uh, senior managing editor of WWE.com, so that's keeping me busy around the clock. And um, it's uh, you know, I got a lot of other things on my plate right now. So maybe down the road when I'm you know close to retirement and I'm sitting on my ranch in Texas enjoying the sunset, maybe I'll write one. But it's not going to happen anytime <laughs> soon. <laughs> cool. Um, if we move on to uh, one of the fan questions now, um, one of our forum members uh, called Angle Slam uh, wants to know. Uh, what was it like working under Howard Stern for your serious radio show with Taz? Um, that was just that was a one-time thing. You know, nothing. Um, you know, nothing's going to happen with that. Uh, we were invited by Howard Stern uh, to go on his station, um, Sirius Satellite Radio here in the states, and uh, we uh, went on over Super Bowl weekend last year and had a blast, had a lot of fun. But uh, nothing's going to happen with that. You know, uh, that was just a one-time thing. Okay, and uh, second part of that question, you've probably answered it already, but would you like to do a return with JBL as your partner? Uh, a radio show? Yeah. Oh, I love it. Uh, I, one of the one of the concepts that we've got uh, in the works now is for, for Bradshaw and I to do a, a podcast uh, for the Internet. Um, so that would be a nice trial to see if, if we could ever get into the radio down in the future. I think it'd be fun. I, I think it'd be a lot of fun. But, again, you know, it's nothing I'm worried about and concentrating on. i got a lot of other things um, on my plate right now, and... Um, you know, uh, but you know, not you know. I will never say never anything because it's always a lot of fun working with Bradshaw. It was a lot of fun working with Taz. I mean, he, he, he's a talented guy and he's a great guy as well. Cool. Now, over the last uh, three or four months, there's been a resurgence in the ECW brand. Um, can you give us your opinion on the ECW product and also some of the fans' reactions that it's not been as good as what it could have been, especially with the uh, the recent pay per view, December to Dismember. Um, it was a, you know, I thought it was an okay um, first effort. Um, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of different, um, you know, theories on on that show. Um, and uh, you know, it's hard. It's hard when you're introducing a new, uh, you know, you know. Let's cut to the chase. ECW's new product. It's not the product it was when Paul Heyman was running things. You know, back in the late '90s. You know, it's not the ECW of old. This is a new product under the under the, the vision and guidance of Vince McMahon and WWE. So with that being said, we're introducing a lot of new characters. And um, when you're introducing new characters, uh, it takes months and months and months in, in, in investment by the viewer in order to feel emotionally attached to these characters. So it's, it's real difficult um, when the brand's only been on the air for a few months to really get fans emotionally attached in, in every match and every character in the product. Um, I thought the, the, the guys worked unbelievably hard, especially those in the uh, in the Elimination Chamber match. Um, you know, those guys busted their rear ends um, and uh, did a unbelievable job in that match. And everybody on the pay-per-view card worked great. I think right now it's a creative issue where we just, you know, we've got to put our heads together and we've got to develop stories that are going to make people care about our characters. And we're getting there. It's going to be a work in progress. It's going to take a long time, but I ask everybody to be patient. 
Now, one of the big news pieces that came out of the of the pay per view, the aftershocks of that, obviously revolves around Paul Heyman being dismissed from WWE. Um, yep. Have you got any thoughts on the on the Paul Heyman situation? All I'll say about Paul Heyman is I respect him. Uh, you know, Paul was one of those guys uh, early on in my career in SmackDown who really took me under his wing and really um, helped me learn how to be a storyteller. Now, he didn't teach me how to be an announcer or a commentator because, you know, obviously I was trained for that and I've done that for years, but Paul's the guy who really taught me how to be an, a, a storyteller and how to tell stories in a succinct amount of time to help get our characters over. Um, so I have tremendous respect for Paul. He's always been very, very helpful, uh, helpful to me. Um, you know, I think Paul's got a Paul had a vision for his show, um, and um, you know, he fought for that vision. And uh, you know, whether or not um, you know the vision was accepted, I think the thing that everybody um, would say is that they respect Paul Heyman because he fought for what he believed in. And um, you know, Paul, uh, you know, he's a, he's a tremendous talent. He's got a great head on his shoulders, and uh, you know, you never say never. I wouldn't be surprised to see him back someday. I mean, he comes and goes. You know, how he is. Obviously, you're the lead commentator on SmackDown, and SmackDown has had a lot of criticism over the last few years of being an inferior product to, to Monday Night Raw. Do you think that, that SmackDown is finally coming into its own, and what do you think we as fans can do to embrace the SmackDown product, and do you think it is better than Raw? Well, I, I think the, the, big, the big problem is, is that Raw is the flagship show of the WWE. There's no doubt about that. I mean, Raw was there earlier. Uh, it's been on the air a lot longer, obviously. Um, you know, it's got a it's got a traditional voice in Jim Ross and also in Jerry the King Lawler who anchored the show. Um, it's got a lot of the traditional superstars um, on their program. It's got some of the biggest stars in the company because of their history uh, on the program. So Raw's got a really big head start on SmackDown. I think what SmackDown has going for it is, in my mind, is SmackDown's more has a lot more wrestling meaning in ring action. Than Raw does. Raw is very entertainment driven, which is great. I love Raw. I go to the show every week. I, I, I can't get enough of it. Um, and my favorite character in the WWE is on Raw, uh, John Cena. Um, but, you know, with that being said, I think SmackDown's got a little more in ring action. I think we're really developing characters on SmackDown. And I think the thing we're doing on the show is we're approaching it the right way. We're developing characters, uh, we're not trying to shove people down anybody's throat. Um, if you look at the way that the, like Kennedy and MVP have been handled, it's been a nice, slow build with these guys. They had nice stories coming in. Uh, they've been working, uh, you know, uh, they've been, they, you know, they, they've been involved in great stories uh, with The Undertaker and Kane over the past couple of months. And we're really building their character, and we're investing in them as people and, and, and as characters. Because of that, um, you know, the SmackDown brand is, 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 is becoming more widely watched, at least in the States. Uh, each and every week. I think the show's a little more slick. I think it's, um, you know, uh, it looks a little better, uh, you know, from a from a production standpoint. I think it's higher quality production just because Raw is the more grittier show. Um, but, you know, SmackDown's coming around, and it's, it's going to be fine. I, again, there was a point maybe two years ago where SmackDown was, hands down, a better show than Raw. And that's because we had a lot, a lot of established talent on the show. And, you know, now Raw's better, in, in my mind, but SmackDown's getting there. Do you think it affects the perception of SmackDown that it is a taped show, whereas Raw is live? Do you think that if the show went live, it could garner a little bit more interest from the fans? I don't. I, you know, I don't buy that. Uh, you know, because it, the reason that I say that is because the fans um, that are in the arena that are watching the show, 
for them, for all intents and purposes, it's live. And the excitement that the show generates for the fans in the arena, that is going to come out of your TV set and it's going to excite you at home. So if you're watching Raw on Monday night, okay, it's live. So if you're sitting in your home watching, watching Raw in your living room, if the fans are sitting on their hands and the show's boring and there's no action, it doesn't matter one iota if the show's live. If it's boring, it's boring. And it's the same thing with SmackDown. If there's an excitement in that crowd and that comes out on Friday night or whatever night you all see it in the UK, if it comes out that it's an exciting crowd and it's an exciting feeling, you're going to be excited at home. And you're not going to think at all. I don't think any of our fans sit at home and say, well, I'm going to watch a show now that's taped. Almost pretty much every show on television you watch is a tape program. When you think about it. Yeah. Do you think that um, over the last year there hasn't been a proper brand split, a roster draft, if you will, uh, since WrestleMania uh, 20? Do you think that a brand split is in order now to move some of the top-tier talent from Raw over to SmackDown, or are you happy with the way the rosters are splitted at the moment? You know, again, I'm on SmackDown. I would love to see DX and Edge and Orton and everybody else on my product, you know, on my brand. That's not going to happen. Um, you know, I'm happy with it. Uh, you know, again, I think I think you can build stars and you can build the show um, with anyone. I think it comes down to being creative. And I think we've got some of the best writers, and I know they get a lot of criticism, uh, unfairly so, because we've got some of the best writers and the most talented writers with some of the greatest backgrounds um, in entertainment uh, writing these shows. And um, you develop a story that people sink their teeth into, and they're going to watch the product, bottom line. Okay. Um, moving on to uh, you personally, obviously we see you on screen uh, on Friday Night Smackdown. Uh, behind the scenes, obviously, you're, you're well known now as um, you know being in charge of WWE.com. How did you get involved in, in that side of things? Well, it just, you know, I, I, one, uh, Chris Chambers, who's our, uh, in charge of the website over here, um, asked me to... Uh, you know, come work for them. Uh, I guess it's been about eight months now. Um, you know, they just wanted some direction from a content standpoint. We've got a lot of young writers and a lot of uh, a lot of young um, folks working over here on the website uh, that have you know, got some wrestling experience, but not a ton. And they figured that with just with my uh, with my experience of working with talent and being on the road and you know uh, hosting the broadcast show, that I would be able to help with story ideas and content and. and so on and so forth, and that's how I started, and then it just sort of morphed into a to more and more and more and more and more and more, and now I'm in a senior managing editor role where you know I'm involved in everything from development of stories to you know um, you know uh, ways that the, the the website is laid out, I mean, just all kinds of different things. I could spend an hour telling you about it, but you know basically I was asked to join the team, and I did, and I love it. Awesome. I think my journalism standpoint, I think my I think my journalism background really played into that too because you know you know we're trying to do a lot more new stuff on the website as well. That's cool, um, and obviously one of the the most famous things that's been said uh, recently by uh, Vince McMahon is uh, you know the famous WWE.com sucks uh, line. Um, <laughs> how, how did you react to that, or did it just sort of spur you on to to make it bigger and better? Um, yeah, it's. Um you know, Vince has a uh, a way of uh, rallying the troops, so to speak. And one of the things that I respect about Mr. McMahon is, you know, there's not a harder working man in the world. Uh, and when you see your boss, who who owns the company, out on the road busting his hump and doing what he does, either either in the ring or backstage or running the company, and you see him working as hard as he is as he does, you want to work just as hard. Um, and uh, you know, 
when you know he he sent a message he basically sent a message and said that the website was sucked and at that point it did you know we were really we were in a, and we still are in a rebuilding process um, we've got a lot of great things lined up on the horizon the broadband network is getting underway soon we've got uh, an unbelievable um, amount of content on the way from the from from for the uh, divas um, we've got uh, a whole new uh, look and um, and set up for the site on its way uh, in the next few weeks. So we've got a huge, um, you know, uh, uh, huge menu uh, on the horizon. And I think what Vince said was right, and it's it's stirred us to get rolling here. And I think we're heading in the right direction. Fantastic. So uh, a lot of new things coming to WWE.com. One of the things that um, has received a lot of attention uh, just lately, and um, I personally love it, is uh, Mr. McMahon and his ass. Um, I think that's absolutely superb. But where did the idea come from for that? Uh, one of our guys here, uh, one of our uh, creative minds, uh, thought it was a, a funny idea. We put some stuff together, went to an animator, and uh, you got the cartoon. Matter of fact, uh, there will be another one up on the website uh, at some point uh, later on today. Excellent. Fantastic. You've just made my co-host a very happy man. He's looking forward to the next <laughs> Moving on to, a, to another subject now, we, we briefly touched on this earlier on. You've just come back from the fourth annual Tribute to the Troops uh, show in Iraq. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, obviously you've done the Cole Report on WWE.com, which has been so informative, it's been unbelievable. What is it like going with all the WWE talent over to Iraq to visit the troops? It was an absolutely incredible experience. Um, you know, it, believe me, it was, it was not an easy trip. It was a very long trip, very tough trip. Um, it seemed like we were flying forever. Um, conditions over there are not great. Uh, we stayed in Camp Victory, um, where the uh, you know the coalition forces are based. Uh, slept in tents, uh, lived the experience. But that's the least that we could do for a couple of days compared to the year or so that these troops are running in and out of that country. At um, you know a lot of our guys and girls uh, got on helicopters and went to a lot of the forward bases throughout the country to spend some time with the guys. And you know the beauty of what we do. Uh, is we go right after the front lines. We go out to the soldiers that many times are forgotten about. We heard so many stories of, of people, um, uh, soldiers told us about entertainers and, 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 and entertainment groups that came through over the past year, and they stopped at the airport for 40 minutes, which is the most secure place in Baghdad. They, they say hi to the troops, they send a couple autographs, and they go home. You know, we're the only group that actually... Um, Gets on the front line and uh, goes to work with these soldiers. You know, when we built the ring for the uh, for the show that's going to air on Christmas night, uh, we employed you know dozens and dozens of, of, of airmen and soldiers and Marines uh, to help build that ring in that arena. And just to watch these guys who've been wrestling fans their whole life have the opportunity to actually build that WWE ring and build the ramp and build the build the arena, it was delightful. Uh, they they were having so much fun. It was great to see smiles on their faces and really have them interact with people that have you know that have come back home um it's a real tough way over there it's it's uh it, it, things aren't going great i mean you guys follow the news just like i do um you know and, and our feeling is this whether you support the war or you don't uh the bottom line at the end of the day is we need to support our young men and women who are over there fighting this war you know they didn't ask to be there they were put there because it's their job and um you know we need to support them but it's a really bad situation over there and our guys are really you know going out there and trying to help uh, bring just a little bit of holiday cheer to these troops, you know, just a minuscule amount. But, you know, when you see guys like The Undertaker or Bradshaw or, you know, Crystal or Maria walk into a building and, um, 
you know, the troops are screaming and sharing and they're smiling and laughing and they're taking pictures and they're joking around. And, you know, you know that, that the superstars made these troops days. I mean, it's just, it's an unbelievable feeling. Um, and I think one of the reasons, you know, that we did the coal report the way they did, and I know it was a little more newsy uh, than you would normally see on a, on a wrestling website or on a sports entertainment uh, website like ours, I think we did it to inform people and to let people know, especially the, the audience of wrestling fans around the world, that, you know, this is a serious situation over there. And I think a lot of people around the world forget about how serious, you know, we've been in Baghdad for a long time, been in Iraq for a long time. I think people forget there's a war going on over there. And it's a war that, that right now nobody's winning. And, um, you know, there are soldiers being killed every day. And, um, you know, we were involved in a, in a mortar attack when we were building the arena. Um, and uh, it just was an example uh, of, of what these soldiers and what the troops are going through on a daily basis. Uh, you know, you go to sleep at night and you, you hear bombings, bombings going on, uh, you know, every 30 minutes. And there's gunfire. And... Uh, it's uh, it's disconcerting, uh, but it's 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 a fact of life for these for these young men and women over there, and it's the least that we could do to get over there and really, um, you know, support the troops and explain to them that, you know, they're not being forgotten and what they're doing for for not only our country but for everybody else in the world, um, you know, is is a wonderful thing and we we really support them being over there. It, you know, it's just an incredible, incredible feeling having the opportunity to be a part of all this. Um, you know, I. I'd go back tomorrow in a heartbeat, you know, and I can't wait for next year. I mean, I hope we're not there next year. I hope next year uh, we don't have to go anywhere to visit the troops. But, um, you know, you guys know how that goes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, as we said, we, we've been keeping up to uh, up to date with it all on WWE.com, and it is a fantastic job you guys do, just kind of, you know, bringing a bit of uh, light into the lives of the people who are, you know, putting everything on, on the line, um, you know, for, for their country. So really great job you guys are doing. Um to, to wind things down, we're going to move on to a, just a few fan questions uh, that we've had from our forums. Um, first of all, one of our listeners, Grant M, uh, wants to know, what's it like working with JBL, and how does he compare to Taz when working with him before he went to ECW? He's a pain in the ass. Can I say that? <laughs> no, actually, John's, uh, you know, John is a, a very talented guy. He, um, you know, he was a, a really hard, hard worker for, for years and years in this company. Um, and I'll tell you, he has done an unbelievable job turning himself into a, into a wonderful commentator. Uh, I think, you know, it Taz as well. Taz is a tremendous commentator. You know, I think the difference between the two is, you know, I think JBL shoots a little bit more, uh, which is entertaining to the inside fan. You know, sometimes, you know, I don't think the, the casual fan understands a lot of it. Um, you know, Taz is a little more technical. Taz will explain a little bit more to you what's going on in the ring, where John will do a little bit about that, but throw a little bit of humor in. You know, they're two totally different guys. One guy's from Texas. The other's, you know, right from Brooklyn, New York. So there's to two totally different guys, but both very talented in what they do. Fantastic. Square from our chat room is uh, asked, what is your opinion on the other promotions out there, such as Total Nonstop Action? You know what? I watch it because I have to. Enough said. Now, one of the things coming out on that, we just want to push this just a little bit further if we can. Obviously, over the last few weeks on TNA, uh, the Voodoo Kin Mafia, obviously former WWE superstars, um, BG James and Kip James, Road Dogg and Billy Gunn, have been going on a tirade to Vince and to DX. What are the thoughts internally within Titan Towers and also for you on this whole VKM uh, angle that they're shooting at the moment? Nobody has ever mentioned it. 
No one has ever talked about it. Nobody has given it the time of day. And I shoot with you. Nobody has said a word about it. Do you think this is just... I mean, you mentioned Vince Russo earlier in, in, in the broadcast. Do you reckon this is just Vince Russo's way of trying to get some cheap publicity out of the WWE name? or How do you rate Vince Russo as a writer? Do you, did you think he was talented enough, or was it all down to Vince and, and the rest of the creative team? Actually, I thought Vince Russo was, was a very talented writer, uh, you know, back when he was here, uh, you know, when his head was in the game. I think Vince has gone off and done a lot of different things over the years, and, you know, I don't know how much his head's back into it. Um, but, you know, he's very talented. Um, and, you know, he never did wrong by me, and I'll always respect him. Um, but, yeah, of course. You know, I mean, if you look at the ratings, the ratings are minuscule. Um, you know, uh, but, again, I'm not going to blast their product because, again, I know a lot of the guys that work there. Uh, I, I have a lot of respect for Jeff Jarrett. Um, and, uh, you know, I think what they do, what they do is, is, is they put on the best product they can. I think they're going to get better. Um, I hope they get better because I think competition in, in, any, in, in anything, whether it's entertainment, sports, or real life, I think drives uh, you know people to to put on a better product. And if if, if they're going to be competitors with us down the road and they're going to compete with us, I think it's only going to be better for us because it's going to force us to be better than we are today. What was your what was your reaction? Also, the internal reaction to the jump from Kurt Angle to TNA as well as Christian. You know, I'm, I, don't know, I've, I I've got a lot of uh, I'm not going to have any comment on that. Uh, I've got a lot of personal feelings toward Kurt. Um, you know, I I, I considered. Uh, I consider Kurt a good friend, um, although I haven't spoken with him since he since he's gone to TNA. Um, there are a lot of uh, issues that I, I don't care to comment on about the, about that story. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one uh, the the last person that um, has got sort of three parts to his question. Uh, EJM from our forums. Uh, first part of the question: Who is uh, better, or who is the best out of your three broadcast partners, Taz, JBL, or the King? Wow, your favorite, that's a loaded question. Put <laughs> <laughs> me on a spot, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Going to get heat with I, I whichever think, one you don't choose. <laughs> no, I'm not going to get heat with anybody. I mean, bottom line, hands down, uh, it, it, it was Taz. Um, I think, uh, you know, obviously, they, let me put it to you this way. They've all, they've all got tremendous strength. I mean, King has been around for, for a long time. Um, he, he's funny. He can add lib. He's to the point. You know, he, he's, he's one of the best ever. But, again, I think when you talk about King, He's, he was never as good with me as he is with Jim Ross. Uh, there's just a chemistry there. Uh, JBL is only been doing this for a few months. He's going to be awesome. There's no doubt about that. He's awesome right now. He's well on his way. But I just think from a continuity standpoint, uh, up to this point, it was Taz. I mean, we worked together for so many years, and um, we had a great chemistry. And, um, you know, he really uh, he really came into his own um, as a great color commentator. And if you listen to ACW now, you know, Taz is doing a great job educating Joey Styles on the way to, to call wrestling the WWE way. And, um, you know, Taz is, you know, really taking on that role, too. So right now he's the best. Okay, fantastic. Uh, second part to his question, uh, what was your favorite moment to commentate and what moment throughout wrestling history would you have liked to have commentated on? Oh, my favorite moment to commentate, my lord, that's such a tough question. Just because, uh, you know, I, I, I've called so many um, over the years, um, and had the privilege to call some of the greatest uh, moments in the history of the business. But the the number one by far, um, and everybody else is a close second. But number one uh, is the night that Eddie Guerrero won the championship at No Way Out um, and defeated Brock Lesnar. That was by far um, probably the the, the greatest uh, moment of my life. 
uh, having the opportunity and the honor to call that match. Uh, Eddie and I uh, had a long time friendship, um, and uh, you know I, I was there for his roller coaster ride and saw what he went through. And Eddie had come back and um, you know was uh, in the best shape of his career. His mind was clear. His family was wonderful, and it was the right time, and everything fell into place. And um, I'll never forget that night uh, when he won the championship, uh, and I'll never forget you know, when he won. He came and he uh, he stood on the announce table, and um, you know held the title up high. And I remember looking at him, and you know I had tears in my eyes uh, because it was such a wonderful night for that man. And then seeing him backstage afterward and giving Eddie a, a big hug, and you know telling him telling him um, you know that, that that he deserved it. And then probably the greatest compliment that I've ever received in this in this in this company um, when Eddie uh, you know hugged me back and you know, basically said you know I couldn't have done it without you. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, you and Taz, um, you know, did what you had to do uh, to get me where I am today. And if it wasn't for your kind words on the air, I probably wouldn't be as big a star as I am today. And just him saying that um, was probably the greatest compliment I've ever received, not only in this business, but probably in, in, in my broadcast career in general. Okay, that's absolutely awesome to hear. Um, and the the last part of his question, uh, he says, finally, I'm a budding journalist, and can you give anyone any tips who wants to get into that industry? Well, the best thing to do, I tell you, uh, you go to school for it. it does, you know, whether it's college or it's broadcasting school or whatever the case may be, uh, you've got to get yourself some experience. You know, one of the things I used to do is I used to sit in my, uh, when I was a kid in high school, I used to, sit in my uh, in my bedroom and uh, turn the TV down on one of the uh, baseball or, or football games uh, here in the States and uh, I'd pretend I was uh, calling the, uh, uh, the the football game uh, for TV or radio and calling it into my tape recorder uh, and then I would I would just do that religiously every single night for basketball games and hockey games and I just did it and did it and did it yeah you know obviously I didn't have much of a much of a life but <laughs> that's what I wanted to do and that's what I did and, you know and I still do that a lot today I'll find myself watching sporting events and I'll I'll break down a little bit into um you know into into some play by play and the other big thing I think more than anything is to is to listen and observe um, other commentators. You know, whether it be a Jim Ross or whether it be, in my case, Dan Rather when I was growing up, uh, a commentator here in the States. You know, and, and I still do today. I, I, I sit and watch Monday Night Raw at the arena every week, and I'll still listen to Jim Ross. And, um, you know, I'll still uh, pick, pick his brain, and I'll still listen to the way he calls certain things and why he calls certain things and, you know, uh, you know try to find out why he's inflecting, you know, why, why, he, uh, why he emphasizes a word a little bit or why his inflection is done a certain way and it's very very important uh, you know to, 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 to look at guys that have experience and find out why they do different things Fantastic Michael it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show tonight are there any comments you'd like to make for your UK fans well, I, I tell you, it, it is an absolute pleasure for me to be a part of this show. I'll tell you, I, uh, when I first started, we talked a, a lot earlier on in the interview about uh, my acceptance uh, by the fans and how it's always been, you know, it's been a rough go. Um, and it's starting to come around a little bit. But I'll tell you, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on the air in the, uh, the U.K., uh, honestly, since, since the day I started in this company, um, you know, and I did a lot of international shows when I first uh, started here, the day I started in this company, uh, whenever I came to the UK, um, I got nothing but uh, absolute respect and uh, rousing acceptance uh, by the fans there. And um, I'll tell you, I uh, will never forget them for it. You know, really, uh, well, everybody always jokes around about um, 
about the you know Cole uh, having only a few fans. Well, if that's the case, they're all in the UK because you guys, you guys have been nothing but wonderful to me uh, since I've been coming to that country for ten years now. Fantastic. As we said, Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. It's been brilliant. We've learned so much from you over the last uh, the last fifty minutes. It's been absolutely fantastic. If you can stay on the line for us for a few moments, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. Um, Thanks ever so much for coming on. Stay with us. We're coming back straight after the break with more from the Squared Circle.